Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we did it, guys. We made it through the NFL draft, and what a draft it was. We're going to go through each prospect, so let's not delay. Let's go ahead and introduce the guys, and let's get to it. He doesn't think the Chiefs drafted enough defensive backs. Sam Blacka is with us. What's going on, dude? To my knowledge, they did not draft one that has dreads, so I am infinitely happy he is not ready to take a grown man's job jacob allen is here what's going on dude uh um i'm always so bad at this this is why i'll never get another grown man's job (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and i am sean deegan and i think if justin ross can make it to the nfl with all of his injuries maybe there's a chance for me too Let's not delay, guys. we got a ton to talk about. Let's quickly go through the week's news because I thought it was just going to be a completely draft-centric show. And then Brett Veach said, no, by the way, I'm still working and, and, and doing things that you guys now have to talk about. And the reaction I want to get from you guys is just about the week's news because after the, after the draft was done, the Chiefs go out and make a trade for Lon, uh, Lonnie Johnson Jr., uh, defensive back from the Texans. Tyron Matthew signs with the New Orleans Saints. The Chiefs use an unrestricted free agent uh, tag or tender, which is essentially like a restricted free agent tender, but apparently it's a thing that you can do with guys who are unrestricted. Didn't know that existed. They put that on Melvin Ingram, so now uh, if he signs from their team, the Chiefs get draft compensation. Otherwise, he signs with the Chiefs for 110% of his uh, previous year's salary. So it would be $4.4 million since last year his contract with the Steelers was $4 million. And then the Chiefs go out and add a prime UDFA, one that a lot of people thought could have been a day two pick, if not for all the injuries, and that's Justin Ross, wide receiver from Clemson. <sighs> There's a lot. There's a lot to get through. What's your guys' reactions just to the week, week's news? Give me your initial thoughts. Uh, Sam, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see that Veach didn't just say, all right, we got a pretty amazing draft, as I think we'll talk. We'll obviously get into here shortly. Um, but continues to make those kind of small deals that just things that can make the team better as a whole. I mean, giving up, what did we end up? We gave up a... The lowest a, possible... A yeah. yeah, the lowest possible compensation you can give up, a conditional seventh-round pick. Yeah, for what? I don't think he was a elite starter, but he has playing experience in the NFL at cornerback. Um, it's kind of it's similar to the Mike Hughes deal last year with even less compensation, essentially. So you can't be mad at that. Um, pulling out, I'm sure some other GMs had to look in the rule book to actually understand that the – what he applied on to Melvin Ingram actually exists because I'm sure not many actually understood what was going on like we were. So, I mean, the, the moves that he made as far as our team, just solid moves again, just continually showing that his, his growth as a GM um, continually making better strides and, and more knowledgeable strides than what we probably saw within the first couple of years of just going boom or bust, like trading first round picks for big guys, things like that. Um, Tyron Matthew, congratulations. Um, going back home, gets to play. Like, that, no hard feelings against the guy. Like, I don't think any of us, we 
all would have liked to see him. We all thought he was coming back, but uh, it just wasn't in the cards for him to stay as chief. So good Sam, luck uh, getting to play along his all-time favorite teammate. Um, Sam, speak for yourself on Tyron Matthew. Uh, he never roasted me on Twitter, and it was the one thing I was trying to get done to myself. <laughs> You're, you just don't know how to start beefs with NFL players, Jacob, apparently. That's my skill and my skill alone. <laughs> So, no, but, yeah, he gets to uh, live live out his worst nightmare and getting to play side-by-side side with Dan Sorensen for at least another year. So I'm sure he's incredibly enthused about that. Oh, Jacob, how did you – give us your reaction to the week's news. How, how did you feel when the dust had finally, I guess, settled at this point? I mean, I'll go reverse order. I think it is kind of funny that he's playing next to Dan Sorensen. That is his probably biggest nightmare for us, though. That would be our biggest – dream like hey, i can make nfl defensive back look playable if i get to play next to dan Sorensen. now again uh i will rewind and say that no none, none of you none of us have ever even come close to playing in the nfl that guy down the street that says i wouldn't have hurt my knee in high school it wouldn't have happened but yeah the tyron matthew one the first thought i had was would you guys have signed tyron matthew to that deal I mean, if yeah, probably, but that was before I knew that was a possibility. This feels like a deal that came about after he didn't get eighteen million per. I think the money that he like after he came after we signed Justin Ross, um, I think say no, I would have taken that deal in a heartbeat. Like that's a lot of lip service. A lot of times, I feel like um, because there's no doubt that I feel like him staying with us. I would, have, I would love to think he'd take a hometown discount, but he was still in that running for going and being one of the highest paid defensive backs in the league, safety in the league. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's it would have been realistic for us to get a deal like that with him. It would, Yeah, I probably would have signed it if we could get it, but just wasn't – I don't think it was on the table. Yeah, I think you guys are right, too, of just the – that strategy wouldn't have even made sense for the Chiefs to not find a safety – so the Saints, you know, they're like, oh, we didn't find our safety. Let's go back and meet Tyron Matthew again. I don't think that would have been a strategy the Chiefs would have felt comfortable with this go-around of, oh, we didn't find a safety. Let's – oh, cool, Tyron, are you still cool with us? Do you want to come back? But, yeah, again, no hard feelings. I know he's a, a pariah for what he does on Twitter, but it's like, you know what, just be thankful for what he did for Kansas City. There's no reason to hate on a guy. He's – after all, just a football player who makes a lot more money than all of us. So what can we really say to the man? Uh, as far as Lonnie Johnson, I'm with you guys. It's like, even if he's just an okay NFL player, it's a great deal. You need guys that have played NFL defensive back because this is a, a very green group of defensive backs at this point. will help just to have a veteran in there. I'm 100% okay with it, especially when it's a conditional seventh-round pick, which essentially boils down to you probably only have to give it up if he makes your roster this year. And it's from 2024. Like, it's not even next year's seventh. You would be giving up the following year's seventh. And who even knows if the plan will be here by then? Go all out for this year. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right, forget, we don't get political on this one. It's oh, a Kyle Shanahan answer if I ever heard one. <laughs> uh, as far as Justin Ross, he was a guy that 
the entire draft as it was going through and you know Mel Kuyper's big board was flashing through every time I kind of thought I was like if he's in there in the seventh they've got four seventh round picks wouldn't mind us being the ones that just take him out of the undrafted free agent pool and not have to compete there and then Melvin Ingram of course I've said there's always been some sort of secret deal I just didn't know what they even did was a real thing I guess I learned a little bit about what I should have been calling the secret behind the door deal. Real quick before you go, because I didn't really mention Justin Ross, just completely skipped over him. I think it's one of those signings that, if not injured, he may have been two or the second or third most talented receiver in this draft. Like overall, just skill base, um, athletic quality. So, I think we kind of said it when we when the signing happened. He's a player you can stash, get right, and then if he comes back and can do what he did his freshman year in college, you got yourself an elite weapon for Patrick Mahomes as yeah, an under, it, unsigned, um, undrafted free agent. If it all works out, <laughs> then the terrible comp we are we're getting in the comps later, but the terrible comp I see in him is he's basically the Chiefs version of Sammy Watkins and Josh Gordon combined together as far as he is a big receiver that goes up and snatches the ball, but he's also hurt all the time, and he's from Clemson. So I'll rip through these quickly. Melvin Ingram had to happen. Glad that it did. Glad that if he signs somewhere else, you get a comp pick. Appreciate everything Tyron Matthew did, but I think the Chiefs made the right decision. I think Justin Reed's going to be – more athletic player at this point and as we'll get into with the draft that it was clearly a focal point Lonnie Johnson Jr. you gave up nothing to get something like that's literally what you did you gave up nothing to get something and if something doesn't pan out you still gave up nothing and the way Veach was talking about him in his press conference today it sounds like they want to play him more as a press corner which is what he was comfortable doing coming out of college the guys at KNC Sports Network uh, Matt Lane, Kent Swanson, and Craig Stout, they released their initial grade on him, which was a third-round grade uh, as, as a press um, press corner. When he went to Houston, he ended up playing a lot more deep free safety. And he ended up playing more middle of the field, and then they had him try to cover Travis Kelsey one-on-one, and Travis Kelsey embarrassed him. It's, 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 it's a great – I think it's a great deal. But don't worry, they're friends now. Huh? They're they're friends now. Oh yeah, that was a great. That was when you knew he was all right. He won Twitter with that, and he won me over real quick. But I think it's a great deal, even if it doesn't pan out, because it's it's literally a no risk, high reward situation, as no possible risk. Um, And then Justin Ross, um, I'll just take us to how I I feel. That's my. I'm gonna tip my hat a little bit. I'm I'm wildly excited about that, just because again, it's a no risk, high reward option. The ceiling is so much higher than the floor is low, with these two, with those two moves in particular, that it's almost a well, why not? Like why wouldn't you do that? So the fact that they were able to get both of them and then basically secure either a draft pick or Melvin Ingram is a is a huge win. Uh, for the Chiefs. I'm really excited about what they did. I'm going to flip our questions here. Is there one that you guys have a favorite? Just real quick, is there one of these that's your favorite pickup that Beach made? 
and we'll flip things here. And Jacob, we can come to you first this time if you want. Uh, this wasn't on the rundown, so I feel just like it's an intro. It was. It's number three on number on first down. Oh, jeez. Uh, Man, bad. I know I'm not perfect, but at least give me credit for being able to stick to things written on paper. I think I'm with you. The, I think the Justin Ross one's the most exciting because it has the most upside of any of the moves that were made. The others were almost – Lonnie Johnson one did not feel like a necessity, but the others felt like necessity moves. So that would be mine. Sam, you got a favorite out of the, the three that Beach did post-draft? Most generally, like, with the highest upside, yeah, I, I would say Justin Ross is the move with the highest upside. I'm actually most excited about uh, Melvin Ingram. I, I, I've said my piece on Melvin Ingram plenty of times on this podcast, but just the move itself is, again, it's one of those that's like, well done, Beach. Just tip, tip the cap. Well done. Because it's, a, it's kind of a win-win for us. You're still paying him really not a lot, even at 110% of his salary from last year. And if we don't get him back, we get picks. So you get picks for a guy that's not even technically on your team right now. Great. <laughs> uh, and last thing here before we dive into the draft, how many more of these do you think we get before we get to training camp? Obviously, we've got hopefully an Orlando Brown Jr. extension coming, which would potentially free up even more cap for them to, to have some flexibility if, if somebody were to come available. Beach has always been aggressive, always looking for opportunities here. They have a little bit of cap still, even after if they sign this draft class, they'll still have some money to maneuver. How many more of these do you think we get now that you know we've moved past the uh, comp pick period, where if you have to sign a free agent, the other team gets a, a compensatory draft pick? How many more of these moves do you think we might get prior to training camp, um, Sam, we'll start with you. I I can't imagine doing a crazy amount of, of moves going on before training camp. I, I could still see us going after, potentially going after one more veteran wide receiver. I, there's still quite a few kind of sitting out there in free agency. Apparently we missed out on Marquise Brown and AJ Brown and all the Browns apparently. So, um, well, we'll see. I think primarily amount of moves. You might see it like again, Beach kind of does those little roster building moves, not necessarily guys that are impact players, but just adds depth to the team. So I can imagine maybe some more small level trades, but I can't see us going after anybody big other than maybe a, a veteran wide receiver, which again, not necessarily big, but just giving us some more veteran presence since we are going to have a pretty young group uh, at wide receiver. Um, outside of Juju and and MVS, so and McColl, but again, my thoughts on McColl have been stated. So, Jacob, what about you? How many more moves do you think Beach has up his sleeve before the the boys go to training camp? I think Sam's right. I think you see, you know, kind of a non-splash veteran wide receiver potentially get brought in, just depending on you know what the wide receiver group looks like once they're approaching training camp. But the other one would be there's – my guess is there's still another defensive lineman in the works not named Melvin Ingram that is probably in the discussion, a, a low-money type guy. I think Akeem Hicks is still out there, and I don't think he's going to have a mega deal or anything like that, but some someone like that. 
I'll say three because I'm with you both on the wide receiver. I wouldn't be surprised if they brought in some veteran guy to be fourth or fifth, but has a wealth of knowledge he can pass on to the guys, the younger players on the team, like with Sky Moore, and that maybe be able to help on special teams or something like that if, if he's not somebody you're going to have every down. I'm with you. I think a defensive lineman is absolutely in the cards. And I think it could think, be. Do you think Julio Jones would play uh, special teams? Yo, if they bring in Julio Jones, I will be irrational about that. Like, <laughs> irrationally excited. Not just irrational, but irrationally excited. Because, again, knowing Bean should probably be a low-cost move. And the reward is something close to Julio Jones. <laughs> That's really exciting. So I would lose my mind if that happened. Even There's still again, a lot of more they're just a lot of old guys. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, why not take a flyer if one of them will sign for cheap? You know, like, it's, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at at this point with the offseason. It's like, if, if you can get somebody on the on a good deal, go get them. Why not? You you could still use the help. I'm with you. I think Akeem, Akeem Hicks is actually a name I think about the most as far as the veterans that are still out there for defensive line. And then I do think you'll get one more low-cost trade for some low uh, – uh, a former first or former second round pick that hasn't panned out. It just, it seems like another beach move. So I, I think I'm going to say three. All right. We've delayed enough. Hopefully Brett Veach won't do anything here in the next 15 minutes uh, so that we have to pivot off of the uh, starting our discussion about the NFL draft, but it came, it went, and it was glorious. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs did wrap up the NFL draft. They ended up picking 10 players uh, so using 10 picks out of the initial 12 that they had. Some maneuvering here or there before we dive into our our comps, because what we're going to do, as opposed to just giving a blanket grade, we're going to go through each player and give uh, a basic comp pick. Like, who, what do you think the best case, what do you think the worst case scenario is for each player? And then maybe give kind of a, a general grade after that based on how we feel about them. But before we dive into to specifics, when it was all said and done, day three wrapped up, how did you guys feel? Because I'll, I'll go first here. I won't take very long. I felt ecstatic. And I didn't, I didn't even love every pick. But I, I on paper, was like, this is, this is a phenomenal draft. So how did you guys feel? Um, we'll flip things. Jacob, start with you this time. How did you feel when the draft finally wrapped up? Sean, that was not the way you described it on Twitter as far as how you felt. That's exactly how I described it on Twitter. I had one pick where I was not thrilled about it, but I get it. Oh, I was talking more about uh, the bad habits you were going to start taking up post-draft. Oh, that's... I swear to God, Jacob. Make your damn answer. You're like, our mothers listen to this show. If they find out that I'm even pretending to smoke cigarettes just for Twitter jokes, my mother will drive to Kansas City and slap that cigarette right out of my mouth. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I was, I was super excited. And we said before the draft that people – judge drafts based on did they draft my guys and that usually make or breaks a draft now of course they drafted my favorite guy so of course i was ecstatic about that but you know a lot of the rest of the names were names i had watched but weren't necessarily like my go-to guys 
But when it was all said and done and watched a little bit of each one, it's like, oh, I get it. And I get why PFF had these guys on their board, why they where they had them. Same one about you. What were your, how did you feel when it was all said and done? I think overall the draft, I, I kind of said it after the first round in, in our group chat, and it rang true through the remainder of the draft, is our team got better. That I mean, we've had drafts where you look at it and you're like, what did we improve? Like, we didn't actually get better in positions we need to, but they addressed positions of need. I think the draft fell a little strange in the, the later rounds where it was just like, okay, I guess we're pulling the Dallas Cowboys of last year and just drafting an entire defense. Um, but it, it, I thought we addressed positions really well. Um, again, Veach made the move. We kind of talked about it last week of what level of comfort level or where our level of comfort is when, with trading up. And I think we all kind of agreed if a guy fell within those five, six picks that we have to trade up to get, we'd be more than comfortable with it. Um, so I think we were happy. I mean, it kind of rang exactly what we talked about. I didn't want us to go all the way up to get a guy, like I said, but they traded just, I mean, just a little bit. Again, it was one of those that I kind of said, it. I was like, I eh, wish we could have got a little less compensation because I feel like there were still some really good talent at some of the picks that we did ended up trading away um, if we could have kept some of them, but it is what it is to get a, a pretty solid cornerback. But no, it, it, it overall – very, very well-played draft. I think it was, again, hearkening back to what we talked about with Veach and um, what we wanted to see is it was – it's a very – it continues to show his development as a GM and his ability to draft. So I, I was incredibly impressed, very happy with it. I think it, it ultimately made our team better, So, which is the, what you're, you're, what the ultimate aim of the draft is. Let's not delay. Let's get to it because I'm excited to talk about these guys as I'm with you guys. This is, I think, a tremendous haul for what they got. So, what, like I said, what we're going to do is we're going to go through each pick. Uh, seventh round might get a little weird and really do a whole lot of, I mean, we're fans who don't have all 22, so we don't do film study, obviously, per se. But at least for the first uh, few players, well, for first five rounds, I should say, we'll be able to give maybe more detailed stuff um, compared to what we could give with seventh round. Certainly not detailed compared to what actual analysts do. But first round, Samuel alluded to it. The Chiefs did do a very Veach thing and traded up. They uh, went up to go get uh, Sky Moore, or excuse me, Trent McDuffie. Traded back to get Sky Moore. They went up to get Trent McDuffie. At number 21 in the first round with the New England Patriots, they gave up, they swapped first, so they gave up 29. They go up there, pick in the third round, number 94, and a fourth round pick, 121, to get to that spot. Trent McDuffie uh, is on number two on Dane Brugler's overall rankings for cornerbacks. So Dane Brugler of The Athletic on his uh, uh, draft guide, The Beast. Had him right behind Ahmad Gardner, uh, Ahmad Gardner, better known as Sauce Gardner. Uh, I want to get your guys' comps. Let's get to it. Sam, what do you think is a best-case scenario? What do you think is a worst-case scenario for Trent McDuffie? This was actually the harder one for me to compare him to anybody. And it's not even like – because when you break it down, he's, he's a small cornerback, but – 
he just is an incredibly, incredibly technically sound quarterback. And like, he's not big. So he, like, he gets, he seemed to get bullied a little bit um, when it comes to press coverage and stuff like that. Um, at least what I watched again, as we talked before the podcast, but a week. So I may not have as detailed as Sean. I didn't um, hit the Narcan after coming off the draft high and come back to life. If you guys don't know what that is, you should look it up. It makes a lot more sense. Um, Sam, I have been trained on Narcan. Thank you very much. Sean basically had to hit that off the draft high so he could come back to real life. So (laughs) best case scenario, I think for him, you're looking – I just don't have a good comparison for him. I mean, worst case, it's – it's you're looking at, I, I don't think worst case you could look anything less than like a Fenton in all reality. I think his skills are too high to see him fail at a level where it's like, oh, you're just trash. I think he's a solid enough player in general that you're getting a, a player that you feel confident putting out on the field. At, at the high end, you could have your shutdown corner, your guy that cuts off half the field almost a Nambi awesome wall type, but Nambi was a lot bigger than him. Um, just kind of that effect is what I'm looking for, where you can have, you you divide the field in half essentially or in thirds and take that side away and make it a lot easier for our defense to compress the field down. So this is the only one I don't have a great comparison for. And I don't know why it just didn't, I couldn't come up with one for him as well. You guys probably did, but just wasn't, didn't come to me on, on the cornerback. Just, I'm excited to have him. I, he's a, a solid pick, obviously. So, one that neither us nor Brett Veach, admittedly, in his draft press conference, thought would be available at number twenty-one. I do have a comp, but I agree, Sam. It took me a while to find it, and I'll be honest. I, I had some help from the draft guides that I bought. I was like, "Oh yeah, I don't know why I didn't think about that." Jacob, what about you? What do you think about uh, best case, worst case scenario for Trent McDuffie? Uh, first off, do you mean Namdi Asamoah the American actor. American actor, yes. I'm Which sorry. Is the first thing what? that's listed. You don't know he's not a, he's an actor? No, but yeah. I'm definitely going to go watch his movies now. <laughs> you only be... need to mark out midnight and afternoon because I think there is one, two, three, four, five, six. There's eight movies, so you just need one day. I'm in. I work from home. <laughs> I got time. Then, then you can see the entire Namdi Asamoa film collection oh my god i'm so excited that's that's gotta be in a bin at walmart somewhere i know listen people out there i know walmart doesn't really do many dvds anymore at least the last time i was in there four or five years ago but there's definitely the eight film collection of the namdi asinwa films just in that giant five dollar bin anyway yeah namdi asinwa was six too because i was curious after sam said it the only comp I can come up with, and it's probably just because I don't remember him that well at this point, is Brandon Carr. It's kind of who he reminds me of, and it might just be because of his body is what reminds uh, me. Those two, both him and Flowers, kept coming to my head. I just don't remember them well enough to, like, I didn't go back and watch Brandon Carr and, and Flowers uh, tape to see, you know, how they compared playing, but that's the size that I was like, yeah, he's about that size. I don't know. I can't really remember that he plays like them, but and that's my problem. Too. Wise, he he comps out well to Carr. Carr was just bigger. Carr was like six foot two oh seven. But combine results, I think they're pretty similar. Yeah, that's what I was seeing too because they were both like four four forties. And I just I don't remember Brandon Flowers being a, 
not that he wouldn't tackle guys, but just not that he would lower the boom. And that is one of the exciting things I saw about Trent McDuffie is he likes to tackle. And that's definitely a trait the Chiefs like and why they sent Marcus Peters packing. So, uh, you know, I did like the move up to get the pick. And I didn't when it happened, I didn't even think it. I was honestly kind of terrified because I thought they were trading up for Jermaine Johnson and we all You're have terrified different... they were going to take a guy who was projected to go top 10 and not your guy, Carlos. <laughs> we have differing opinions on Jermaine Johnson is what I will say. Well, but that was right. That was my fear as to what they might be doing. And when they took Trent McDuffie, I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that guy was still available. I, you know, we've, we, I say we as in, you know, us, but America as a whole had done so many PFF mock drafts as Chiefs fans that that wasn't even a thought process that that guy would be there. So we were much like Brett Beach, I think. He probably was doing the same thing. He's like, wait, he's still available? Okay, you know, I will trade up. But yeah, Brandon Carr, I think, best option. And I do like Sam's low comp of Rashad Fenton would be, I think that's a pretty good floor for him because, again, like he's, like you guys said, Rashad Fenton, if there's anything that it took him some time, was just kind of like his fluidity in his playing of, you know, just getting beat on routes. And that's what I think has changed for him recently. So I, I like the floor for as far as Rashad Fenton. So, again, I had a little help on this one because I was struck. Brandon, Brandon Flowers is going to be my comp, but I just – I didn't – it didn't feel 100% right. And, and, and then I'm – this one came up to me with the draft guide KCSN. What about Chris Harris Jr., who played a lot outside but played in the slot? There's a lot of talk about McDuffie being able to do both, um, where his skill set might be most suited for the slot because of his size, but has the ability to play really proficiently outside and take on bigger receivers because of his athleticism. Like and that's the thing. Like if McDuffie's six feet, he's a top ten pick because his Combine and pro day were great. You know, 4'4", 4'40", 38 inch vertical, 10'8", broad jump, 15 reps on the bench. Like, he's an athlete. Like, he's, he is, like, technically sound. What you were talking about, Sam, like, he just doesn't seem to be in the wrong position ever. But I think what gets overlooked at times because of that is that he is an athlete. He is a stud athlete. And I think if you look at the comps, he's a slightly more athletic version of Chris Harris when Harris is coming out of Kansas. Um, Harris Jr. is a little bit shorter, like 5'9", 194. But both of them have the ability to play inside, outside. Chris Harris Jr. could be trusted to be put on maybe not the number one because he's only 5'9". You're not going to probably put him on the 6'2X. But be able to put him on a lot of number ones and be really good. Uh, Chris, I mean, you're hoping that Trent McDuffie gets close to Chris Harris Jr. Because Chris Harris Jr. had, I think, multiple All-Pro, uh, Team 2 All-Pros. I think he might even gotten to All-Pro 1, uh, First Team All-Pro once. I had it pulled up and I've since closed out of the tab. But I think that's your upside. I think if there you're talking about... The, he was one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he was a stud. And I think if you look at the body's play style... That's that's probably your hopefully your upside. 
Um, the low side for me was actually on the Chiefs roster as of right now, and that was Mike Hughes, where it's a guy who's feisty, physical, um, has good athleticism, but doesn't – and Mike Hughes isn't the athlete that McDuffie is, but a first-round pick who just kind of gets bodied by bigger guys. You know, we, we all have nightmares of Mike Hughes versus Mike Williams with the Chargers. I think if there was going to be an absolute basement floor, that's your floor is a guy who's just not big enough to handle an ex receiver in the NFL, which I, I have more hope on with, with McDuffie just because he is a terrific athlete. Uh, two quick things. Are you, did you guys distribute bingo sheets before this? And is Mike Hughes the center square on that bingo sheet? Well, Sean, you will be happy to know Mike Hughes is no longer on the Kansas City Chiefs roster. Oh, yeah. He I guess is they on didn't the Detroit him, yes. Yeah. So, your fears of seeing him anymore should be eased. <laughs> I had kind of forgot he was on the team, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Gabriel Davis highlights make me remember every time I see it. That's true. That's true. That's probably why it's out of my memory, because I was just like, that was so painful to watch. But – I do think to your point, when you talk about the Chris Harris best years is because he complimented the other guy on the other side of the field from him so well in Aqib Tlaib, you know, because Aqib Tlaib was the longer corner. And might have a little more on that later on when we're talking about comps and things. Glory days, man. Freaking glory days of Kansas football. Which, by the way, Kansas had more players drafted this uh, NFL draft than Texas University. Just wanted out there. Rock shot. Let's not delay. Let's give Jacob his moment uh, and move to the second pick in the first round uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Jacob, I'm going to let you go first. This is your guy. And and I'll be honest, I've come around because I'm still not a huge fan of the pick. But I've come around because I kind of see how he fits with what they're doing. And it makes a lot of sense. But you were the highest on it, and you were dead on about last year's first pick with Nick Bolton. So tell us why we should be pumped. What's the ceiling? What's the floor for George Karloftis? To quote the great George Karloftis, oh, that would be incredible. The team doesn't play from behind. His highlight pre-draft still cracks me up. I already love his personality. I didn't know much about him prior to it. And, of course, I'm sure we've all read 10 stories now about his life and things. But yeah, I mean, for me, it was a plus as far as, or I, I don't remember were we grading these, these picks when we're doing our comps. Uh, we didn't McDuffie, but I, I'm sure that. If you, you know what? Yeah. Let's win. just go with comps. Let's go with comps. You're, you're, you're right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm guilty of having no creativity because I do think your ceiling is, could be just because of play style and moving him and some of the skills that the guy had would be like JJ Watt when we talked before. And I know that I might offend some people that are mega JJ Watt fans on this, this podcast, but he could play inside and outside, but not full time. And that was what the Texans did when JJ Watt was his most successful. And the one trait that I think a lot of people look at in his pass rush skill and are like, I don't like his bend much like how people have said, I am tired of mock drafts. I am tired of people saying the word bend. I know, I know it's a great pass rush skill to have been, but it's not the only one. 
And for so many people, it seemed to just be their make or break skill. And that's why I'm saying, again, his high end is is what to me of what was very good at getting guys off of him in two mega ways of just great hand fighting and insane strength and a great first step. And I think that's the thing that is overlooked as far as Carl Aftis is he gets off the line pretty quick. And, but again, it's also one of his weaknesses because he catches himself in some pretty bad sets against the run that way too, of, you know, getting too wide or, but anyway, that's why I love the guy. And the floor is, I had one earlier and it just escaped me, but because I love him so much, obviously I can't see a, a floor at all. You know what? I will just pass it and come back to me. There is no. Yeah, I was gonna say, you think about it, Sam. Give me your your ceiling. Give me your floor for George Karloftis. Yeah, I mean, I, I was the one that brought up the comparison to rub it in your face with JJ Watt. I, I think comparing anyone to a multi-time defensive player of the year is is a bit bit of a reach. But he is. Like, he, he has the measurables. Talent. I will let you have it. Yeah. generational. Like, like redefined what a defensive lineman can be. Yeah. So I won't go necessarily all the way to he he will be today's JJ Watt. Like <laughs> when JJ Watt's on the field currently, like or or maybe I won't even say currently. Let's go three years ago, JJ Watt. Like not his peak, because I, I just struggle to give anybody that kind of credit. But he has, like Jacob said, he has the same general play style is what J.J. Watt does. So you're looking for guys that, that you can compare him to. Um, and and there, aren't, there aren't a lot of defensive ends that play like what Karloftis does. He, that, they've shifted so heavily to speed pass rush where a guy like Karloftis, a lot of times it gets almost moved inside and you don't see it as much, um, which I'm actually excited about to see him in packages where him and Chris Jones are in the inside. Cause I guarantee you it happens because that is going to be a pretty ridiculous pass rush. If you can put two guys on the outside or whatever, however they line them up low, low floor, a guy that it, it's a similar situation coming late into football. He, he came a lot later Bjorn Warner, the first round talent out of Germany that just crashed and burned because he couldn't adjust to the NFL I think again, that's like the low low. That's super harsh, but again, it's it's a possibility, a realistic floor, one that I'm perfectly comfortable with. Because again, I think Carl Loftus has skills high enough that he will be a contributing player. Is a guy like Derek Wolf, um, that played for Denver, now plays for the Ravens. Not not a major sack guy. I think the highest sack total he's had in his entire career is seven sacks. So he's not a big sack guy, but he. Like us as Kansas City Chiefs fans, when we watched the Broncos when he was on the Broncos, you're like, "Yeah, Derek Wolf is a good player. He he doesn't he he just is a sound football player." And I think that could be easily like what you can at minimum expect from Karloftis coming in. I had to go back and dig for this a little bit, and it won't be any surprise to Jacob because I've already talked about this comp a little bit on Twitter. But my my ceiling, because again, I'm not comparing him to JJ Watt. I just can't. Like, that's he's so good, <laughs> so good. And even like the three years ago, well, four years ago, technically he's a 16 sack player. Like Karloff just does that at any point. Like that's a huge win at 30. My pick was uh, Tom Bahalwin. 
I had forgotten how poorly Tom Bahali tested at the combine, but he tested horribly, like way worse than than Karloftis did. But again, somebody who won with a great first step, relentless effort, great hand fighting, and getting to a second move. That was Tamba, and Tamba was like was pretty big when for a guy who was going to play three four outside linebacker, which is where he did really start to see his success. Um, that was when he got his fourteen and a half sack season. But even before that, when he came in as a rookie, he's like eight sacks, six sacks. Like he's he's still a productive player when he first came into the league, even as a guy who didn't have elite athleticism. He had a four eight seven forty. He had a bad bad vertical jump like 30 inches vertical jump no no upward explosivity from tombo which is weird to think about now 7.28 cone drill 4.31 short shuttle which is slightly better than carl office in the short shuttle but not by much they were they're pretty similar um carl office tested better than him so i think that for me if he's tom bahali i think veach stole that pick for me, because I'm not a huge Carl Loftus guy. I, I did want somebody who was more bendy, more more juice off the edge, I guess, is a good way to say it. Somebody who had a little more speed rush available to them. And maybe this just won the draft for it. And so he he does make a lot of sense with the style that they play. So if he's Tomba, that's great. My floor is Frank Clark from last year. Because I, I actually think that he will be a productive player. I think if he fails, he will fail in the way that Frank Clark failed, where you're looking at the resources invested into him as the reason that it's not a great pickup versus him just not being a good player. Because I do think he's a pretty high floor guy where he'll he'll be serviceable. But I just don't know. I, I think if he's if he quote unquote fails, it'll be he's a decent edge that can reduce down and give you some time at the three tech and give you like three to four sacks a year versus the eight to 10 that I'm, I'm hoping for from a guy like him. Another comp I saw a lot was Jared Allen. I haven't watched enough Jared Allen going back to even remember. Right. It's been like what, what moves he won with. I feel like Carl Optus is a lot more power based than what Allen was. Like if I, again, it's been years since I remember watching Jared Allen, but he was, I think his move set was much, much greater than what Karloftis has. And it doesn't mean that he can't develop it, but I remember him eating people alive with his inter, inter like um, interior spin move. Like just, and his hand fighting was just elite compared to what I've seen Karloftis. Karloftis is a little bit more of a bull in a china closet, it seems like, with just, he has the, the dip and rip and, and kind of the, fighting hands off, but he doesn't have those speed rush moves I think Allen possessed. I, I saw him attempt the spin a couple times. It ju- The problem was it just didn't go anywhere. It was yeah. like, great that you spun. Like the tackle, you could tell, was just like entertaining. Like, cool spin, bro. And the, and the thing about Karloftis is, like, there's still, I think, upside. Because he is young. Like, he's very young. I think he just turned 21 and hasn't been playing – great uh hasn't been playing football for that long compared to a lot of people who are in his position now so i'm hopeful i I think it makes sense and the value where they took him works fine 
quick follow-up question. Will his celebration move come anywhere close to Jared Allen's like perfect stack celebration move? Nope. Nope. It's impossible. I think that's probably one of the best sack celebrations ever. So I combine that with the mullet and it's just Yeah, it's so hard to comp to a guy that's like borderline Hall of Fame celebration. Also, can we and I'm I'm guilty of myself because all three of my comps were white guys. Pretty much, Sean, you gave one not white comp. Every other comp we said for Karloffs has been white. <laughs> like, are we just not creative, well, or is both it both of actually... mine were black guys? Tom Bahali. I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. You're the only one that gave. But like, well, I'm clearly less racist than you guys. I don't know. Maybe so. it. <laughs> no, like I think your comps make a lot of sense. Like I looked up Derek Wolf, and I'm like, oh yeah, no, that like. That that tracks 6'5", 285. Guy who can reduce down, play a three tech. Like, yeah, like that makes a lot of sense. Oh, if he's if he's Derek Wolf, like I'm still pretty happy at what he becomes because of what kind of role Derek Wolf played in the Broncos defense. Like he was yeah, he drew I think a he lot needed. of the yeah, like he was a space eater and opened up pass right passing lane or pass rush lanes. So all right, let's move to not the surprising pick, but how they got there. Brett Veach with his first ever, ever trade back. He moves back from 50 to 54. The New England Patriots come up and take a wide receiver I'd never heard of. And the Chiefs move back. And they passed on my guy three times to go get Sky Moore. Uh, the passed on George Pickens was the guy I would have taken. But again, Sky Moore um, makes a lot of sense with what they're trying to do. Uh, did you hear what the scouts said about him post-picking him at the draft? Because it was a shot across the bow to every other receiver with the Chiefs last year. They said, we just love how reliable he is. We know he's going to run the right routes. We know he's going to catch the ball. <laughs> and I was just like, well, that excludes Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson. <laughs> McCole Hardman, and even to an extent last year, Tyree Kill with like his all of his drops turning into interceptions. Shot across the bow if you're a Chiefs receiver. Uh, but the Chiefs take Sky Moore at pick number 54 in the second round. Jacob, I have a feeling you and I are going to have the same floor on this one. Sam will flip things, though, and let you start things off. What's your best I, comp? What's your worst comp? I want to hear yours first, Sean, because you're the only one of the two of us that didn't talk crap on Sky Moore. So. <laughs> I I like Sky Moore. Again, he wasn't my my pick there. I would have stayed at 50 and taken George Pickens because I think the upside is is tremendous and he fits that playmaking X receiver that we've been hunting for for forever as Chiefs fans and just hoping would find its way on the team. Um, Sky Moore to me is another like ready to contribute low floor prospect. I think his upside when I watch him is Emmanuel Sanders. I think that's him. And again, like I, I, I have the benefit of these draft guides that I've spent money on. So like that's and I actually found in one of them that's that's the comp they gave. But how he releases off the line, he has good, not great speed, but works can play all the pos- the receiver positions on the field, but operates best out of the slot. And the most successful years came out of the slot. Emmanuel Sanders was basically a seven, eight hundred yard receiver for most of his career, except for the three years where he's in Denver. 
And Peyton Manning was just like, I'm going to turn you into an all-pro receiver. And did. And he ended up with multi-thousand-yard seasons, one of which was 1,400 yards. I think that's probably your absolute peak with Sky Moore is an Emmanuel Sanders type who can get deep, um, who has the ability to play all three positions. I do think there's still some upside there with Sky Moore because of how long he is. Like he's got ridiculous long, ridiculously long arms, so he can play a little bit bigger than maybe his his five ten, five eleven frame would lead you, lead you to believe. But Emmanuel Sanders is is I think the peak. I think the floor is a slightly better version of Albert Wilson. Jacob said it, and it stuck in my head for the entire draft. And I was like, yeah, okay, that, that's probably his floor. Where if you go back and look at Albert Wilson's stats, there are some years where he's he's break glass in case of emergency kind of a player. But I think if, if his floor is like 400, 500-yard seasons – um, his place, the play styles are similar. I just think Sky Moore is more athletic, which is why I think his upside is is closer to Emmanuel Sanders, or I think he'll finish closer to Emmanuel Sanders than he will Albert Wilson. Those comps, I, I think the Albert Wilson one by far is probably the most valid. Um, I went a slightly different route because he has such a strange body type for me. And I think that's when I watched him, I went, I, I did go back and rewatch him because I, I wasn't a huge fan of what I saw. And it, he doesn't look fast on the field and it's because how he runs. He has very short strides. He's not a long runner. He's, he's very, and he doesn't look laterally quick, but he, he's an explosive off the line and he's really, really good at getting separation. So again, still not my favorite pick. I think it's it, listening to experts and, just kind of general talk on him it it like heightens my hope for what he can be but I I think a a strong upside for him because I was really scratching the barrel because I'm like trying to go back trying to find people that look like him I think that's the biggest thing I was like there's got to be a player that looks like him that plays like him and there's not a lot like but the one that I kind of came to was was Jarvis Landry he is Jarvis is actually slower than him on tape he was actually not very fast in the combine because again sky Moore ran a 4 he's a lot faster than i think i thought he was just watching him but kind of similar size receiver jarvis has that ability to get off the line get separation quick and just is a very reliable wide receiver catches the ball um very very effectively and, and has runs really crisp routes that's what made him a multiple or a thousand yard receiver for most of his career through with uh, the Dolphins and then go to dumpster fire that is Cleveland and be the one kind of reliable saving grace of that franchise, I think, with Baker Mayfield, Nodell Beckham Jr. So that that's kind of my hopeful ceiling of him is like an elite Jarvis Landry. I was even like digging like kind of Heinz Ward-esque where he just bounces off tackles. Like, I, I didn't go back and watch enough Heinz Ward to be like, yeah, that's exactly who it is. But just kind of that allow really good at breaking tackles, very good route runner. But low, I think, again, trying to find a slot receiver. Albert Wilson, I think, is probably the best. Cole Beasley, I think, is, is a pretty low. I mean, I think Cole Beasley is product. A lot of his performance is product of the systems he's been in but you're not ever going to say Cole Beasley is an elite wide receiver. And I think you could see that, what, 
900 yards receiving for Cole Beasley is a very good mark for him. And if we're seeing Sky Moore, who's going in, which again, we addressed as we've proven with Sean multiple times, being a thousand yard receiver doesn't mean much anymore. It's, it's 50 some odd yards a game. <laughs> like, so if you're under a thousand yards, you're not very impressive in my opinion, but um, that, that was kind of the one I came to is just looking for another, again, smaller slot receiver, which again, he, he does have that ability to play all across the board, which is something I like about him that he's not just a, we, we lost a slot receiver. Let's put a new slot receiver. They said, let's go out and get a guy that can play, move around the field and play a lot of different positions. Cause again, I think the offense is going to look a lot different this year. And that's another piece to make it that way. Jacob, what about you? I know you also were not super high on Sky Moore, so what do you think is the best op- best possible scenario and worst possible scenario? Yeah, I had re-watched him right before the draft, just kind of thinking that's who would be available in the time that I thought they'd be going wide receiver. After we got closer and closer to the draft, I didn't really think there was much possibility of them going receiver at 29 and 30 especially once the draft started and all the trades started happening. And I was like, I really need to go watch some other receivers. So by day two, I was really watching the remaining guys out of curiosity. I was the opposite of chiefs Twitter and George Pickens. The more I thought about him and heard about him, thought he was John Baldwin. So, you know, John Baldwin, tons of skill, but punch Thomas Jones in the face and, if that's the the level of thought process you have, you clearly don't have it together between the ears. Even Abraham Lincoln had it between the ears better than George Pickens and John Beasley. Sorry. Back on track. Yeah, my floor is pre-Patrick Mahomes, Albert Wilson, which I don't know if you guys know how many games that is. Uh, or actually, the, the post- the post Patrick Mahomes Albert Wilson. That's your best or worst? Uh, well, Albert Wilson Patrick Mahomes only played one game together. Yeah, <laughs> but so he's my the floor is the pre Patrick Mahomes because that was when Albert Wilson did not have a hundred yard receiving game yet, and then Patrick right. Mahomes stepped in and Albert Wilson all of a sudden had a hundred yard receiving game. Funny how that works. I I like your guys comps. I. I do think that Sam had some pretty solid ones. Jarvis Landry makes a lot of sense as far as what his high end could be. Mine was, you know, and I think I, because I'm envisioning my own team in this whole, this, this dynasty of the Patriots dynasty of, I think he could be their Julian Edelman in a way, because he's going to do a lot of his damage between five and 15 yards. And it's just going to be death by a thousand paper cuts. The other weird thing to me is when you go to watch the Skymore clips, the same guy that's uploaded all of them puts the game line on there or his game stats. If you didn't see those beforehand, I don't think you would believe the final stat line because it was always like one touchdown, 120 yards. Before you get to the end, though, it feels like he had like maybe 60 yards. He had a couple catches, but just <laughs> catch after catch that adds up. And I like the pick more than pre drafted than when it actually fell the way it did because of the circumstance of it. I was hoping, hey, Christian Watson, okay, this is is what they're going to do, but I think they looked at 
we have to replace Tyreek Hill's skill set and not necessarily Tyreek Hill in one player. And he was kind of the remaining skill set that they hadn't found yet. Yeah, they went very money ball with replacing Tyreek Hill. Uh, set lines, they're talking about trying to replace Jason Giambi. And Brad Pitt says, we can't replace him, but maybe we can recreate him. We can do it in the aggregate. And that definitely feels, to your point, Jacob, that's the one skill set they were missing is that guy who can work kind of multiple spots in the field, beat guys off the line with his footwork, um, which he does have tremendous releases off the line. I feel like I heard that Moneyball comparison last week from somebody. You did You did quote um, Moneyball. I gave the movie line. Yeah, it's all over the place right now with the Tyreek Hill deal. We're not writing any new books here. But the one thing, another thing that does crack me up when you watch some of the Sky Moore highlights, and it does speak to his abilities, is the defensive backs don't press him very much because I think they realize how well he stay, avoids them. And they know it's like, if I, if I really get too tight on this guy, he's going to – have the potential to beat me deep. I'd rather him beat me the 10, 15 yards at a time than get behind me. Overall, I think the biggest concern for me with him, and, and again, it's the thing that everyone talks about, was level of competition. It's really hard. I think watching – that's why, like, watching his tape before the draft, why I wasn't super enthused is I was like, man, he's not – like, you can tell what his skills are, but the fact that he wasn't getting separation at a lower-level competition – just didn't inspire me necessarily as far as a guy that I'm like, yeah, that's the wide receiver one as many draft or many people on talk radio or, or sports radio are saying right now is that he immediately comes in as num- the number one wide receiver. Uh, oh, I'm just like, I hope they don't expect that. Like, that was James Jones's take, by the way. Great uh, <sighs> Packers. Wide receiver. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. But you can't no, do like, that to the kid. Yeah. Especially no, like, Andy Reid's offense. What are you doing? So, I think that's probably the biggest level of concern is just like, okay, is he able to transition what he's really good at, which we, I think we all established. He he does have an elite set of skills, but is that going to translate over to the NFL in a much, much bigger level of competition? I think that's why I like to pick a little bit though, because my expectation for him is never really above wide receiver two at best. Which also is, where they got him, why I think I came, I was fine with it. Like you didn't, you didn't take him at 30, right? Which is absolutely where I've seen some people mock him is at 30. And I was just like, I, I don't think I feel good with that. That would feel very much like everything else went off the board and we have to take a receiver here or we're not going to get anybody. Um, I, I do think it was exciting for me just to watch him get releases off the line. So I'm hopeful. We'll see. It's, I think if you expect him to be wide receiver one, though, to your point, Sam, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. He can be a really high-end wide receiver number two at, at his peak is what I my absolute best outcome. Uh, there was another guy that was drafted very close to this spot that uh, we love to bring up a ton. His first, his first name, which is also new news to me, is Kerry. Kerry Hardman, Jr. McCall. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. So it's interesting, just to keep perspective as far as you know, like what expectations are when McCole Harden was essentially drafted in the exact same spot. Well, his name is Kerry. That's what Wikipedia says. And again, I think this is also the difference in like perception, though, because McCole they traded up for, and 
Sky they traded back for. And even though they're they're picked relatively the same point, I do think that's going to play into it. It's like you you moved backwards because you knew he would fall to you versus like we got to go get that guy, right? I think that plays into fans' heads a lot when it comes when it will come to this pick, regardless of where they were actually picked at. I would hope that he surpasses what McColl has done to this point. But if he had like a McColl career like McColl has had this last year, I think that would be probably a reasonable expectation. Let's move to the second pick in the second round. That's Brian Cook, safety out of Cincinnati. The Chiefs took with the 62nd pick of the second round. This was one that I didn't know a ton about. I was, I'm good with the pick, having seen him play a little bit now. Again, I didn't do deep dive study. I'm relying a lot on the draft guide write-ups. And then um, Seth Kaiser of The Athletic and his uh, chief of the North newsletter does like um, film breakdowns. So you get to see some all-22 footage of him. And then the highlights you can find on YouTube. So I, I'm good with the pick. Curious to see what you guys think. Um, I went first last time, so Sam, I'll let you bat lead off this time. What do you think of Brian Cook, best worst-case scenarios? I actually really like this pick. I think, again, didn't know much about him because, again, safety, I think we, in in our conversations, have mentioned, you know, maybe a safety gets picked here or there. It was kind of the same conversation as our next pick, linebacker, where it's like, yeah, maybe. Well, you could see somebody going to get it. Again, it's kind of the fallback. If again you you still see the injury problems or or it just doesn't work out with the safeties we have currently, but I, I think watching him the initial reaction is, is firstly the guy's a thumper man, he hits people and it, it's fun to watch because he is not afraid to come up and, and lay the hit. So immediately your head goes to those big the the strong safety types that come up and just hit people really good in the run game. You want to float to, oh, he's a Cam Chancellor type, that kind of thing. But when you actually get down to watch him, he's he's like listening, reading about him. He's obviously very intelligent players, everything I've read. This, that's one of the biggest things they say about him. And he's not, again, the ball skill part worries me a little bit as him. But if I'm talking peak of what he could be, I think Eric Reed is what I think his elite status could be if he can really develop his ball skills. The worry, though, is his floor is a guy like Bernard Pollard, where all you are is somebody that comes up and hits people. Like, because I, and again, when I say floor, I'm like, okay, he, he doesn't develop anything except the ability to hit people. And uh, Bernard Pollard, by the way, basically won the AFC championship game for the Ravens. Yeah. But he also got us Matt Castle. So, yeah, that was not an even trade. Um, he was no, also that, smaller than I realized, and I walked right by him because I didn't realize that it was him. Yeah, no, it, like, and again, I floor for him. I was just looking for a guy that that that's their skill set is is run run support hitting people. Um, I'm sure there are many other comps as far as his size that probably fit better, but Bernard Pollard is still deep in our memory as Chiefs fans. So just got to uh, open that wound. Um, but no, I, I think of what I've watched of him, he. I do think he has a lot of potential to be an incredibly, incredibly effective free safety specifically, if not playing a little bit of strong safety. Cause even though it's weird because those seem 
almost reverse of what's being played now in the NFL, where the strong safety actually isn't really what we think of it as with like the Cam Chancellor type. Because if you think about it, it was uh, God, why is my brain not working? Who's our other safety? <laughs> and Justin Reed, uh, Juan Thornhill. Juan Thornhill. My brain was just like I couldn't think of Juan Thornhill's name. Um, Juan Thornhill was the strong safety this year, and he was the smaller of the safeties that we play. So I think he's more. I think we see vision him more as a free safety in our system. And I think if he can develop, you're you're looking at a an incredibly incredibly talented kind of leader of the defense is what I think they're trying to replace with obviously the loss of Tyron Matthew. Jacob, what about you? Best worst case scenario for Brian Cook? Well, now I'm kind of scared to go because uh, my, my like range for him, and it's only because I'm thinking of safeties that hit hard, is Bernard Pollardle's like the first one that did come to mind because his ability to hit did change the games from time to time. And I guess another comp that would be very similar to that would be Jonathan Abram of the Raiders. And that's kind of my floor. Like that guy cannot cover anyone, but from time to time he hits somebody. The one I do think that would be a, would be kind of a best case scenario. And a guy that's very underrated is Kareem Jackson, who's been on the Broncos the last couple of years. They brought him into the Texans, moved him to safety and, has really worked out because of the element he brings. He's not the greatest cover guy. And again, you know, like we said, Brian Cook, any defensive back is tough to find footage on when all you're relying on is YouTube highlights and oh, okay, the ball's thrown. Was he near the ball after the camera shifted in that direction? So it is it is tough to say, you know, just how great of coverage skills he has. But that would be my highest upside is I think it would be really awesome if he was Kareem Jackson. Uh, my upside is actually on the team right now. That's Justin Reed. Justin Reed's like a guy that you watch him and like he, he wants to trigger. He wants to trigger and come hit you. But he's also learned how to play a, re- a solid center field. And last year, notwithstanding, which was widely considered a down year for him amidst the dumpster fire that was the Houston Texans. He was a very respected player and a leader in that locker room, someone who had high intelligence. And Sam, you said it right off the top. Cook is clearly an intelligent player and has the athleticism, I think, to play center field and has done it some, but his his biggest strength that jumps at you anyway is just his his ability to read and react. He triggers so quickly and he explodes to the ball and just lays a lick on you. The, the highlight that jumped out that circulated Twitter that I got excited about was the there was a pulling guard on a, I don't know if it was a counterplay or what, but a guard pulls and Brian Cook comes up, hits the guard and drives him into the running back to knock them both down and gets the tackle by knocking an offensive lineman on top of the running back. Like that's that's an aggressive, powerful punch in a guy who's, you know, not that big compared to the offensive lineman. I th- I think if he is, if he continues to develop, I think Justin Reed, who is widely considered a really solid safety in the NFL, could absolutely be a, a, a high point for him. It's just, does he continue to get better? Does he avoid just becoming a thumper and maximize the talent that he clearly has? 
my floor is is again a guy who was on the team this last year who is not anymore, and that's Armani Watts. Because Armani Watts loved to come up and hit people. That's the first highlight he ever had in a Chiefs uniform was they had him spying Joe Mixon with the Bengals. When Mick, I think it was Mixon's rookie year. And they throw a pitch to Mixon or a swing route to Mixon, and Armani Watts comes up and lays a lick. On, on Joe Mixon. Chiefs fans thought he had arrived. Uh, and I think that that might end up being Cook's floor if he doesn't maximize his potential and where he ends up being pretty much a special teams, you know, break glass in case of emergency type of a player that plays a more traditional, you know, ninth, late 90s, early 2000s kind of a strong safety. And with with more athleticism than what you might have typically had in that position back then. I think that's his floor. And just for people that haven't dug deeply into each of these, when we say he's an intelligent player, he's a multi-time academic All-American, accepted <laughs> to Harvard College before he went to Cincinnati. So he is – there's definitely a brain behind the, the brute that likes to hit people. So, so what you're saying is – the chance that he gets to his ceiling is much higher than him going to the Thanks. floor. God, I didn't realize all that. I knew he was, you could tell, I like, just watched him on film, like his ability to read and react is just like, he processes so quickly. I didn't realize he was accepted to Harvard before going to Cincinnati. Howard. Howard, I'm sorry. Basically yeah, the black Harvard, yeah, as they he's, literally referred to as. All right, let's move right along to, to speaking of guys who like to hit people. My God, the uh, Chiefs <laughs> with their next pick uh, in the third round at 103, the one they did not trade up to go up and get Trent McDuffie. At 103, they took Wisconsin linebacker and person who loves to assault people, Leo Chanel, a man who literally wrote death row along his the outside of his arm when he played football. Uh, when asked what can Kansas City expect from you when you get on the field, he said physicality and violence. <laughs> and I'm so excited. I will go ahead and go first here because it took me a while. This this actually might have been my hardest comp just because Leo Chanel, while a thumper, is so much more athletic than most guys that you would give that title to. Like, Reggie Ragland is a thumper. Reggie Ragland is also not moving side to side with any level of quickness. He's not going to run a 4-4-40. Leo Chanel is freaking massive and runs like 4-5-40. He's ridiculous. He wasn't asked to cover a whole lot, but the athleticism says that he probably could. It's just, can he process it? He did play some Mike Linebacker. Chiefs have talked about how he's going to play more of a traditional Sam linebacker, that strong side backer over the, the right end. I, I think his upside, if you look at athleticism, is Anthony Barr from Minnesota, just with a more aggressive motor. Whereas like Anthony Barr is, is um, an ultra athlete with great size and athleticism. Um, and, and the ability to rush the passer, I think that you get all of that with an attitude with Leo Chanel. Um, 
his floor to me is a really athletic Frank Zombo. Like, that's your guy that just sits on the outside. He's going to play really – he's going to play run defense, and then you should probably get him off the field. Uh, and, honestly, there will probably come a point where it's like he's a break glass in case of emergency. I think that's his floor. And, again, like, I think his athleticism will allow him to avoid maybe the absolute basement of that. But that's kind of the range I'm seeing. He's probably one of the wider ranges that I have for a player that I've comped here. Anthony Barr was such an ultra athlete, but I couldn't, I couldn't find a floor guy that had that level of athleticism just offhand, but a guy who probably who played outside linebacker in a three, four, but probably should have played just Sam linebacker for his career. Frank Zombos the floor. Um, so that's where I've got him. Um, Sam, what about you? What do you think's the ceiling? What do you think's the floor for for Leo Chanel? Yeah, he's an incredibly interesting player to me. He kind of fills. There are a lot of comps I, that ran through my head because I, I was looking for just the most athletic linebackers we can see. And and you're, I really like your Anthony Barr one. I hadn't I hadn't really come up with that one. But if I'm if I'm going high like high end this is me assuming that he can develop the other aspects of his game not just be a freak athlete because that's what he is because not only is he very fast i think he did what like 32 reps on the bench in his pro day like something offensive line levels of strength is what he puts up i had i had three kind of in the same range um all kind of similar players all freak athletes um, each to their own level of development, but I think kind of you could see them each. The very high is Fred Warner out of uh, 49ers. Like if he turns into him, we're like we're laughing at this point because it's like, oh my god, what happened? I, I think that's probably pretty unrealistic, but they do have similar measure roles as far as their car- combine stats. Um, but I think the more realistic ones would be the two linebackers on the Buccaneers when you're looking at Devin White and. Um, uh, Levante David. They're both freak athletes. Maybe not. I think they each one has their own set of skills. I don't watch them enough to like pick them out. And I, I want to say Devin White is probably the clo- cl- closer comp. Um, I think Levante David is more the Mike linebacker typically um, or moved into that after Quan Alexander left. But I think that those two, if he can get to that level of comp, we're like, that's one of the biggest steals in the draft, I think. Um, and you now match him up with Bolton and Willie Gay. Your our linebacking core went from incredibly slow a couple years ago to just stupid fast. Like that's all it is now. Low end, you're looking at to be completely honest, Dan Sorensen, a hybrid linebacker safety because he's fast enough to be that like slow safety kind of player that your your guy that covers your tight ends, your defensive tight end potentially. Um, but what our biggest complaint, Dan Sorensen could lay the wood. That guy could hit people. He missed a lot of tackles, so because he liked to hit people. <laughs> so I, I could see him being that kind of player of a, a solid contributor because, again, with his athletic ability, that translates very well on the NFL field a lot of times. Another player that you could look at, like, I I think they came out of college with similar measurables, but one of them was looked at as being the developed player. 
and because of that got drafted in the first round, and that's Aaron Curry, if you guys remember him. Very similar as far as when you look at their combine stats, but he didn't understand how to play football in the NFL, and I could see that being another comp as well if he played pure linebacker. But Was that the Tyson Jackson year? I always forget. It was the Tyson Jackson year. (laughs) No, I'm actually incredibly excited about Leo Chanel. He was – he. Like, again, it was one of those picks that I hadn't even looked at him through our process of drafting because he was never there. But once I started watching, like, yeah, I, I can get behind this because at, at the least for him, it's another pass rusher. I mean, that's what he is for us at this point is, hey, he could be a stand-up end at this point and just say, okay, go get that guy and go tackle him. And he might do that. Before we get to you, Jacob, just to emphasize his athlete, this is the Dane Brugler's research all puts this nice and tidy for me. 4.5340 at 6'2", 250 pounds, uh, a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical, a 10-8 broad jump, a 4.24 short shuttle, and a 6.983 cone. And, Sam, you were dead on the money with 34 reps on the bench. He's a freak. He's a freak. And they played him. He played middle linebacker for them half the time. Yeah. He had eight sacks last year as a blitzing linebacker. I'm, I'm really hopeful that we get to see that if – if because he wasn't asked to do this a whole lot, but if he was able to learn this aspect where they reduce down into like a – into three, four kind of nickel packages where Carl Loftus reduces down to a five-tech, Chris Jones reduces to like your other five-tech, and, Car- and Chanel's now your stand-up outside backer. Oh, my God. Well, that you can almost get to the point where you're playing Ohio State's defense, which is, what, the 2-4-5? Yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> do it. I'm in. I'm so in. Jay, what about you? It all you? makes sense now. This is why there's no defensive linemen on this team. <laughs> yes. This makes all this. They're just going to go to those Ohio State's defense. Oh, that'd be awesome. Jacob, go ahead. What's your ceiling and floor? Well, we're pretty late in the show for me to completely disagree with Sam, but Dan Sorensen's 207, Chanel is <laughs> 260. Hey, I wanted to say Ben Neiman, but Ben Neiman's too slow. Like, <laughs> Let's look at Ben Neiman's. How fast, how fast is Dan Sorensen? Like, is he actually faster than Dan Sorensen? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think Dan ran like a 4-6. Let me double check here. Yeah, that would not surprise me. Four, six, seven. So, oh, Leo Chanel really? faster than Dan Sorensen. Oh my I apologize, God. Leo Chanel, for insulting you by comparing you to Dan Sorensen. You've got to be kidding. That's just rough. Ben Neiman weighed 235, so he's even got Ben Neiman beat by 25 pounds. I was I was kind of struggling because this is the one I've the one I've done the second least amount of research on. I was, you know, kind of watching him today, watching uh, the I'm sure the Google search a lot of people have done, or the YouTube search of so-and-so versus. So I was watching his actual game. I think your high side, and I've seen this comp on Twitter because their athletic profiles comped very similarly, was Luke Keekley was who they compared him to. I was like, if that's who that is. So if Sean had a problem with us comparing Karloftis to J.J. Watt, I'm not He's saying not I, I have watched death. very little of him. It's just the <laughs> comparison I've seen as far as upside. I like to I like to always go generational talent as far as uh, 
the best linebacker we've seen play the game of football. Yeah, like, arguably. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. I didn't finish my – I didn't mean ever. I meant in, like, the recent 10, 15 years. But if he had played his full career and not retired early, like, you're you're talking about him with Ray Lewis and – that's what I was like that's out. that's the conversation you're talking about. If he plays a full career and doesn't retire early, <laughs> well, I mean that's just who I say athletically he compares to. I don't think that's my reality. I'm this is the one I'm kind of most scared for because I just don't know the role they're going to put him in. That's what scares me about it. Is where does he fit? And I know I've heard people say, "Oh, he's you know he's." Finally, they'll have three strong linebackers now, and I'm fine with that. There is, I have no problem with the pick because I think the best athletes you can get, you go get. And so 100% cool with it. I just don't always necessarily know the role because, as we know, the Chiefs love a 4-2-5 base set as far as their defense goes. They And then sneak down that safety to play the linebacker role. So maybe – that's who it is, but they also drafted nine safeties, so or picked up nine safeties. So I feel like that role is filled. The the weird one when I was looking up as you guys were talking, so I apologize if there's any sort of carryover, was him and Reggie Ragland are very similar. They are all like the exact same size. It was a four five four versus like a four five five forty time for both guys. I was like even if that's who he is, I'd probably be okay with it, even though I know we used the Reggie Ragland for Nick Bolton comparison last year, which I think Nick Bolton has already proven to be better than – have a better ceiling than Ragland ever did with us. But for me, that's kind of the, the hopeful floor for me. I'm almost even more scared that he could fill the same amount of role as Dan Sorensen, not the player he is, but just kind of a guy that – Stays around because he's a special teamer. Every now and then again, just delivers a pop that, like, wow, this guy's a big-time playmaker but never fills a full role. So that is what I think Sam was trying to say with the Dan Sorensen thing because I could see that being – that's my fear with this pick. Where where are you seeing four five five for Reggie Ragland? Uh, I believe that was on Alabama's pro day. Oh, that's cute site so you know you could say that he probably shaved about a uh well according to the nfl combine he shaved a full two tenths of a second off of his 40 (laughs) times they got him at a 4.72 31 and a half inch vertical jump now his broad jump was better um at 100 what is 116 inches i don't know what the math is on that uh, geez. Okay. Sam, Sam, I'm sorry. I I know when we went to Sean's intervention, part of it was we weren't just to bring up combine numbers because yeah. that's one of his triggers. <laughs> to bring it back. <laughs> no one. I almost. I did try once. I tried once to see if PFF had an early 2023 mock draft simulator, and when they didn't, I was like, okay, we need to stop. <laughs> right. You got one, so used to it being in your daily routine. One side or something to look at or something to pay attention to. With hit with the pick like Leo Chanel, because again, your third round pick at this point, you're not looking at him as your day one starter. But this could actually be, I think, leaning towards a sign that maybe they're not fully sold on Willie Gay. 
because he could potentially fill that position that Willie Gay does of the more athletic linebacker of the two when they are just in a two linebacker set. Because obviously, I think Willie Gay still is faster than considerably faster because I think he ran like a four four three or something like that. But if if they're not sold on him, and you can replace him with a guy that has similar athletic ability, this could be a sign pointing to okay. And again, I, I don't think it's probably the case, but it is. They're always looking to get. I think they're moving to the point where getting younger at that linebacker position, staying younger instead of aging out and getting like the what we dealt with in our last Super Bowl run where it's like, God, everyone's so slow and old. We can't stop anybody. So it, that, that is a potential aspect of this move is okay. If Willie Gay's not cutting it, we now have another athletic linebacker that can fill his role if he can develop into it. All right. Moving into day three, we're going to do four rounds, four and five, because traditionally that's been the impact for Veach and, Seventh round picks are essentially priority UDFAs, and trying to comp those is exhausting. So we're going to stick with the last two picks, and then we'll wrap things up here. With the fourth round pick that the Chiefs had at number 135, the Chiefs took PFF's least favorite draft pick in Joshua Williams, cornerback uh, from Fayetteville. Again, like I, I didn't understand that grade that pff because if you weren't listening to the last podcast we did sam drafted joshua and his mock that he brought and they gave him an f which i went and did it later and they gave me an f and i don't understand it because uh dane brugler had him as a third round grade f for fayetteville just so you would remember that's what it was that's what it was but what do you guys think the ceiling and the floor for Joshua Williams, um, Jacob, you haven't gone first here in a couple of rounds, so we'll start with you. What do you think is the best and worst-case scenario for Joshua Williams? Well, I already tipped my hat here. This is the one I've probably looked the least into. And I say that only because we haven't gotten to the next people that I haven't even looked at yet. No, you know, we're, we're cool. We're cool. I've looked more at the next one. We're good. Yeah, this is one I've looked the least at. So my high end is going to be a keep to lead. Uh, keep to leave Randall just a tenth of a second faster, but I guess okay. just long, lanky dudes is where my brain is at as far as play style. Uh, and I guess maybe my floor would be another one that's on the Chiefs of as of today, you know, DeAndre Baker, kind of that style, just like a guy that you can see some just physical athletic traits. DeAndre Baker is not six two, six three, whatever officially. Fayetteville guy is, but kind of plays like a long corner. And so, like I said, if he pairs up with not as long, but again, first round McDuffie is not as small as everyone's saying. 5'11 is not that short. Technically, it was 5'10 five, five, and a half. 5'10 and a half is not that short. It's it's not, especially if you're me. It's <laughs> about exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we, we all don't use our combine day height. We all use our uh, roundup height. The NBA listed height. The NBA listed height, right, exactly. The the high school football roster height. That's that's where I'm at. But I think I think he's a fun one. I think he was the first guy that is a, again, haven't watched as much, only watched very limited clips of him. I think he's the first guy that is viewed as a project and – that's one of the, my favorite things about this draft is in the past there was more projects before we got to this point that Brett Veach just loved 
picking upside versus guys that were ready to play right off the bat. Sam, what about you? Best and worst case scenario for, for Joshua Williams, what do you think? Yeah, best, I, I actually, again, I, I've watched a crazy amount of a guy from Fayetteville State, but and because <laughs> you can always tell when it's a small, small school because everything's field level. Mm-hmm. All film is field level. <laughs> and it's really hard to watch a cornerback play at field level. But no, I actually think, uh, and again, just for, for the audience that doesn't understand, when we say hi, we're like praying that they become this because if they do, it's like fixes everything. It's not necessarily the most realistic thing in the world. But I see him as a Richard Sherman type. Tall. Slightly slow, not slow, but not fast necessarily. Long and just uh, uh, exactly like I mean, they play very similarly. They're they're press corners. They're tall and long and and have decent ball skills. Richard Sherman was a fifth round draft pick. Saw as a guy with a lot of upside, but needed a lot of work because he wasn't refined. So that's my that's my upside. My floor is he's a special teams player. I mean, I don't. I'm not going to try to dig and find somebody that's a waste, washed out corner in the NFL that just plays special teams. But he's a he's a contributor on special teams. Maybe comes in and and spells guys on occasion. But I I don't think he he definitely is a project. He I'm not coming out here and saying he's immediately going to be Richard Sherman, but he does like have that same body type and kind of play style that we saw um, in what Sherman did. See, to me, he's a taller, slightly faster Charvarius Ward. Like, that's that's kind of what he is. He's a press – like you said, he's a press corner, big and physical. He's not the fastest guy, but he's got good speed. I mean, he's a little faster than Charvarius was. I have to go back and look at Charvarius' 40 time. I totally forgot to do that. But, like, if he can get to that and, and all of a sudden he's a $14.5 million corner, the way Charvarius was paid this offseason, great. That's that's gonna be incredible for a fourth round pick. Um, I I think he's got the length, he's got the athleticism to make that happen. He is taller than Charbarius, like he's pushing six three, like six two and a half, um, with longer arms and a really good jump. So I think he might have a chance to be better at sticking with those longer X receivers that gave Charbarius Ward trouble at times. But that would be my that'd be my peak. My my base is just because I have nightmares about this guy getting picked on by Peyton Manning, and that's Philip Gaines. Another long, tall corner that was pretty fast, but not fast enough. And just was just looking at the back of the late great Demarius Thomas's jersey way too often, uh, for my liking. I think that's your your base for, Are you- for a project corner. Are you speaking of the analytics expert, Philip Gaines, who only reason I remember this moment so well is because I was at the game, was when the Broncos, he he let let the Broncos score, which gave the Chiefs the ball back to go back down the field and tie the game up and take the overtime when the Broncos could have ran the clock and just ended it with a win for the field goal. Philip Gaines let a lot of people score. So I don't know if he, he just was trying to – I don't know if he ever tried to just let people score. I think it was just that easy. He he was ahead of the curve this time. He he was ahead of the analytics curve and knew. He's like, hmm, it looks like the chart I have on my wrist is saying, let the Broncos 
completely dunk on me on this pass and walk into the end zone. And you get smoked by Eric Decker deep. Something went wrong. Eric Decker's a very good receiver. He's not someone who should get behind you. All right, last guy, and this one I think is a pretty, for me, was an easy comp just because. But in the fifth round uh, that the uh, the Chiefs did trade up one more time um, using the fifth round pick they got from the Patriots and their first seventh round pick, I think it was 233, um, to move up to 145 in the fifth round and pick Kentucky right tackle Darian Kennard. Um, Jacob, this was a name that you floated out on Twitter um, and texted about uh, in our Chiefs chat that you would be pumped to see the guy them take on day three. Lo and behold, you were right again, and Darian Kennard is a chief. Um, we'll we'll bat, let you bat lead off uh, for another guy that you picked. Um, ceiling and a floor for Darian Kennard. What do you think? Well, what I like is where they grabbed him because I thought they were going to have to use third or fourth on him, and then they traded away a third and a fourth so they didn't have that option. I don't know that I – I'll have a comp probably after I start talking. But what I – I've flipped my opinion on him and Sky more pre-draft, both in positive ways. And Nard, when I first watched him, I, you know, watched, I think, probably just highlights of some sort. And I was right with all the Mahler, road grader type people of, yeah, he just – he's big and runs guys over in the run game. And then I went back and watched more in detail of full games. And what I watched was the Georgia game because I don't know if anybody who watched the draft realized that Georgia had a solid defense this year. Didn't they set a record for most players drafted ever in the NFL with like 15 from their school this year? It might have. I think they had nine defensive players taken, something like that, from their school. I'll look it up when you're done. I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, it was something along those lines. But yeah, the thing I came away with was I was more impressed by his pass blocking than his run blocking. The run blocking, I think, is the thing he has to work on at the next level because it, I, I just don't think he latches on very well in the run blocking from what I was seeing. And it could be a simple technique thing of, you know, having his head down when he tries to engage guys on the second level and just loses them off of his hands. But yeah, the pass blocking is what I like more. So I guess if I'm thinking I, I thought of a guy floor-wise as we were going, and that would be Cam Irving, not in the sense of the athletic profile, but just the skill set of, like, Cam Irving, you know, was a okay pass blocker when he didn't go against guys named Aaron Donald. And then, you know, nothing that exciting, at least when I watch him run blocking-wise. But as far as who could he, who could he be Ceiling wise, I don't know who's just kind of like a solid right tackle. I guess is where I'm at, and I cannot come up with a comp. It's it's almost like I didn't think about this question until just now. So uh, let's go to whoever's next. Uh, Sam, you want to you want to back clean up, or you want to go next? I can go because um, my floor is actually the same as Jacobs because I I think what you'll see with him is the same thing that happened to Cam Irving is that he's not going to play tackle. He will be an offensive guard in the NFL, I believe. Um, I mean, they might, he might be a swing player and play different positions, but I think he will probably be more an offensive guard in the NFL. So Cam Irving, which is what we saw moved into often in the interior offensive line in the later parts of his career. Uh, 
ceiling, I again, it's hard to compare him to a first-year player, but it's Trey Smith. I mean, a tackle moving inside, I think, again, maybe a little different because, again, I didn't dive too deep, and I saw the, run, the road grader aspect of him. So if Jacob's saying that there is more of a pass blocker in there, because um, I think Trey Smith is obviously the road grader, so that was my comparison of what they were. But that, I mean, that's the the ceiling for me is you get another guy late round that can come in and contribute and become. Uh, and again, I don't think he's breaking in on Tooney or, or Trey Smith, but if you can get a guy that can sit behind Tooney, learn from him, and then install him because uh, or what, however, whatever happens with that situation, you're you're really in a good situation. Uh, situation so. My ceiling is is Trey Smith purely because what we got out of him. Now again, Trey Smith's a slightly different situation because he would have been a first round pick if he didn't have the health problem. So we know he was an inevitably an ultimately talented person, but uh, or ultimately a talented player. But if you kind of similar situation where bump him out of the position he played in college into an interior offensive line position and see what you get out of him. I think they're going to give him a chance to compete at right tackle just because they're set at guard for now, but I absolutely think he could be a stud guard if it doesn't work there. Um, my comp, again, is a guy that's on the team, and that's Orlando Brown Jr., who we've seen him as a left tackle, but he came out and started at right tackle, and he played right tackle until Ronnie Staley got hurt and he was forced to move over. But he was another guy that mauled people in the run game, maybe didn't have the best feet, but when he got his hands on guys, he would lock them up at right tackle. It just sounds a lot like Kennard to me, who was a, a really good pass blocker. I'm trying to find the stats um, while you were talking, Sam, to back up my point, and I will continue to try, but I am failing royally. Uh, but I, Again, in the SEC, he performed really admirably to the point where Dane Brugler, again, in the Athletic, had a second-round grade on the guy. Um, he's got really long arms. He's got great size. Um, one of those guys that, like, once he gets his hands on you, that's it. He's He's got all the traits that you want in a mauling right tackle, and I think he's probably more of a polished pass uh, blocker than we give it credit for. Um, but I just think – I do think he has more of a Trey Smith attitude than, than maybe an Orlando Brown Jr. attitude. I mean, he was hacked off that he did not go earlier in the draft. If you heard him, like – after he got drafted, he was ticked that he did not get picked earlier. He's seeing a guy come in with a chip on his shoulder is exciting. Uh, my floor is one that I, I don't know if Chiefs fans will remember, uh, but another guy who had great size and really long arms. I think they're also over 35 inches. I went back and looked it up uh, yesterday evening, and that's Barry Richardson. For all you, you diehards out there, Barry Richardson was a really long physical tackle that – if you play Madden 09, is still a 64 grade uh, as a right tackle. That if you move inside to guard, uh, his rating goes up a little bit. But not not a guy that I think ever lived up to his his metrics. But had all the size and length that you'd want in a right tackle, and ended up just becoming kind of a swing tackle slash uh, backup offensive lineman who was going to play guard probably more than likely. So I think that's my floor for Kennard um, out of these guys. I'm pretty sure Barry Richardson is probably most well-known for being absolutely destroyed by J.J. Watt. That sounds about right. Because I'm pretty sure he filled in for Eric Fisher 
at one point when he yep. got injured. Or no, he filled in for uh, not Eric Fisher. Um, Brandon Albert. Brandon Albert when he got hurt. Um, and J.J. Watt made him look real dumb. Like, dumb, dumb. Yeah. Barry Richardson started for three years with the Chiefs at right tackle. I didn't yeah. even realize that. I For some reason, I thought it was one year. No, it was too long. It was too long. <laughs> hey, if this guy's a three-year starter of the fifth round at right tackle, I'm cool with it. it gives you more flexibility to shop around at left tackle if Orlando Brown gets sideways with the Chiefs. So, real quick, because we've definitely gone long this podcast, last thing tonight. Based on your ceilings, if they reach their ceilings and their floor, whatever, the, however you want to look at this, what would you grade this draft as? And we'll get out of here on this question real quick. On, I'll, I'll go first. On paper, to me, this is Brett Veach's best draft. On paper, it's it's hands down his best draft. I know I'm not a huge Carlotta's guy, but I absolutely understand how he fits. I really like kind of how they filled roles throughout the rest of the draft, took upside shots when they when they could, and it made sense. Didn't make any dumb moves moving up or moving back um, or willing to move back. And they, they got a lot of depth, 10 new players. That's great. And based on the upside that we think is available as we just went through all of these, to me this is an A draft for him. It, it is a solid A draft for me. Um, with Veach. And then to your point, Sam, it was really fun to just continue to see the evolution of Brett Veach, how he worked the board and maneuvered up and down when he needed to to, to get the guys he wanted. Um, Sam, going to you next, if you had to give a grade based off your ceiling and floor, what would you give it? Same as you. I mean, I think I do think this is the best draft we've seen. I don't have, again, you're never going to be in love with every player that's taken, but what and it's kind of what I was talking about before the draft or before in the lead up to the draft is getting young depth and filling spots, filling roles within the team, which is exactly what we did. Again, a lot of defense, which again was our at this point was our weak point. And I think he identified that. And instead of going out and getting Patrick Mahomes eight new weapons that may not work out, he said, you know what, let's try to get make our defense better and not put it all on Patrick Mahomes' shoulders. And, Jacob, take us home. If you gave it a grade as of right now, based on your floor and ceiling, what would you give it? Was it really going to be lower than an A after I got my guy? <laughs> <laughs> Jacob just did refuse to acknowledge that the draft continued after Karloftis got picked. He was like, I don't care about anything else now. This is great. Uh, well, you know, quick funny story. I did – I wish I had fallen asleep by the time they drafted him and i did wake Alyssa up in excitement all right everybody that's going to do it for us for us tonight you can tell it's a long late one as i stumble over my words to get to the end we hope you enjoyed the draft as much as we did we're excited to see what these guys do going forward and hopefully you stick with us uh through each and every step as we approach ever closer to the nfl season now the draft is done rookie minicamp is coming up here i think this weekend so uh stick with us it's going to be a ball the whole way through until next time you all stay safe out there and we will talk to you next week.